Justin. Tom. Frank. Plaid Lads. Yeah. Going, boys, we're back. Should old acquaintance be forgot because it happened three weeks ago? Happy New Year's, everybody. It was five weeks ago, and I don't care what you say. How are we doing, fellas? How's your how's the new year treating you, Frank? Uh, so on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, rather, I decided to finally start taking care of a sinus infection that I had had for about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Always good to let those uh, just let those go. Let those linger. <laughs> That's what I did. I just let it linger, uh, which turned out to be a bad idea because uh, I'm on like day six of a 10 day antibiotic course. No, day five of a five day antibiotic course. Um, and as of yesterday, it started getting worse. So I decided to just nuke this thing from orbit, <laughs> and uh, I w- I have been downing all kinds of over the counter stuff. I have some prednisone in me. Uh, I'm on I'm on all kinds of crap right now. I just accept that I'm going to feel like shit uh, all the time, so I don't even bother with that shit. How did we spend our New Year's Eve? I stayed at home and watched the uh, four part finale of Avatar: The Last Airbender again. <laughs> Hell yeah. It was great. I cry every time. Every time? Every time. All the time. Um, when he fights Fire Lord Ozai, greater than symbol, greater than symbol, greater than symbol. Mm. Mm. So that's some sort of Mark reference? Hamill, great, great, uh, great Fire Lord Ozai. And, uh, you know, controversial because Mark Hamill is obviously not a Japanese man. That's true. But, what? Uh, yeah. Sorry to burst your bubble there, Tom. Uh, but uh, Great Fire Lord Ozai. Great Fire Lord Ozai. And Aang and Katara. <coughs> I will, we keep saying we'll get to it. You know what? Fuck it. Tom, leave the room. <laughs> this is Avatar the Last Airbender. All right. And then so, we're going to do another uh, 20 minutes on Korra. Guys, let's, yes. get, let's get down to business. Uh, season one, episode one, Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, no. That's right. We have re, uh, reformatted. <laughs> Which is the thing I, I said as a joke at the end of the last episode is when we come back, we're just going to be a Star Trek podcast. That still might happen. Uh, I want that to happen because I just watched one of my favorite episodes of television. Uh, it's called First Contact. Uh, yes, where where yes. the Enterprise crew are the aliens making contact with an alien sh- planet, but the that the aliens are human, but they're aliens, and the humans are aliens. It's aliens. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, that's the one. Mm-hmm. I think I know where you're going. Where Riker? Yes. Uh gets sort of harangued into having sex with the alien lady with a bunch of prosthetics on his face. Yes, and that lady is Lilith from, from Frasier. Frasier. She is. <laughs> B.B. Newworth. Yeah. Does that mean that Frasier Crane <clears throat> and Commander Riker are Eskimo brothers yeah. in make-believe <laughs> TV are. land? 
How terrible would uh, Star Trek The Next Generation be if Kelsey Grammer was Commander Riker? <laughs> you say terrible. Better show? Oh, God. Oh, man. What are you talking Better about? Better show? Question mark? Uh, it better be one of those Spanish upside down question marks. <laughs> better show because Riker won't play the trombone. Um, worse show because there ain't no bone, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Baby well. needs the bone. <laughs> <laughs> he okay, so yeah, he would not be able to play the William Riker character because he is not that kind of masculine no it would be pretty strange to have uh uh the squash buckling uh space captain uh having his <laughs> advances rebuffed all the time <laughs> <laughs> just constantly shut down <laughs> why well, you have a weird easter island head Riker? <laughs> you go on to the the amazon woman planet <laughs> nobody wants to fuck this weird bald guy <laughs> He's oh, just oh, poor. sitting in his quarters listening to Wagner. <laughs> poor Frazier. Um, <laughs> here's a, a game I've wanted to play on um, the podcast. Let's recast um, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation with jacked actors. Oh. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. First, I'm putting Terry Crews as Worf. A plus. A plus. It's pretty solid. Pretty solid. I'm putting in Michael B. Jordan as Jordy LaForge. A plus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm putting in Vin Diesel as Jean Luc Picard. <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> John, Hold or, on. Vin Diesel or, or uh, Jason Statham? Jason Statham is the better choice. Is it by much, no, no, though? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's already happened in a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is is recast it a little bit because it's already happened. One Tom Hardy. Oh. As as um you already played Shinzon. As Wesley Crusher? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh as as uh real ones know, as real OGs like Tom and myself know. Tom Hardy played Shinzon in the worst Star Trek movie, uh, Star Trek... Uh, Nemesis. Not Insurrection. Nemesis. Nemesis. Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, so, uh, you know, you've all heard of the Romulans. Have you heard of their brother, the Remans? The Remans. They, they, got, oh, they, fucking, they fucking went there. Get ready. Was, Get ready for a ATV chase across the uh, desert. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Listen, fellas, we are way (laughs) off topic. No! no! (laughs) I'm just waiting for for the plaid lads to have one of the classic Star Trek sexy episodes. (laughs) When are we all getting horny buddies? (laughs) Ronda Rousey is Beverly Crusher. Yes, I was going to say that! (laughs) Uh, Okay, anyway, back. Back to stuff. All Back right. to stuff that's less fun to talk about. Less fun. Wait, wait, wait. Do I hear something? I, I can't do it. You guys do that. The noise. The news. The news.
Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Star Trek News Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we haven't talked about the news in like four months. Um, yeah. Do you know why? Why is that? Because nothing's been happening. It's, it's been just kind been of... completely uneventful. Yeah. Let's just not rock the boat. Everything's cool. <laughs> well, kind of a lot happened now. <laughs> we actually don't have that excuse anymore. Uh, the 116th Congress has officially convened. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new wave of congressmen and women have been sworn in, uh, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. from New York. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is now the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And the government has been shut down for two weeks. Now, now <laughs> I have heard that um, there's a big scandal that Donald Trump has uh, taken the Constitution into <coughs> the top of the uh, the Capitol building and has a gun pressed against its head, <laughs> no, making no, no, wild demands like a <laughs> crazy man, <laughs> like a five billion dollar uh, ineffective wall for no reason. Oh yes, yes, yes. Maybe one of those. <laughs> He's he's calls the Constitution his doo doo rag, <laughs> and uh, he uses it to wipe his butthole. Because <laughs> he for, he forgets these things. He that's forgets what you do with a doo doo rag. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you guys. Like like you do. Yeah, <laughs> like you doo doo uh, rag. Yeah. <clears throat> oh man, so this whole government shutdown thing. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with that, guys? It's it's a partial shutdown, but a lot of people are not being paid, and a lot of people are being forced to work without being paid. And, Several thousand. Uh, and uh, yeah, he said he might make it go on for for months. I feel like he's, which he can't do. He's he's getting his libertarian. Well, no, not his libertarian dream, but he's getting the libertarian wet dream to happen. No government by just uh, breaking. Uh, america killing it yeah well here's what he doesn't know is that they have to get a bill signed like it's not something that you can put off Mm. you have to fund it eventually it's not something that you can just hold off indefinitely there's something that something has to get signed whether or not there's funding for the wall or not uh which is why he said he's pulling out like all the old authoritarian stops and said that he wants to declare a state of emergency and then use the emergency funds to build it which is also insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel, like we're, I feel like this is the breaking point. I feel like all all this is this is the climax of the Trump narrative because the it's just it's just the temper tantrum now. Uh, but now we have a Democratic Congress, so his usefulness as the useful idiot to the Republican Party is kind of over because now they're not going to get their uh, their Medicaid gutting or their ACA canceling. Uh, so he's becoming less useful. Uh, many have said that they're gonna, the GOP is gonna let the Dems try to take him out because it's less politically uh, 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 favorable if they if they uh, try to get rid of him. But he's he's uh, he's picked his hill to die on, mm-hmm. and uh, let's see if he dies on this hill. <laughs> yeah. He literally has um, a better shot of losing his presidency than ever before entirely based on a fit of peak entirely because on a whim he got pissed off about something yeah. and decided to shit himself about it like it's it's incredible there he still has this sort of core of cultists that believe him to be a once in a generation political mind you're never, <laughs> you're never gonna like 
there are people who believe that, and you're never going to convince those weirdos otherwise. I don't know. I don't know because it's like it's it's like when you have a little kid and they're all about dinosaurs, and you're just like, oh, he's going to grow up and be a paleontologist. Like <clears throat> it's fucking Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Like this guy hasn't had real political ambitions for for like four years total now. So like he hasn't had real political ambitions as president. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're going to get distracted after he's exiled to uh, uh, Rich Man's Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, yeah, whatever we send these people to. We, we'll send them but, to St. Helena, like Napoleon. But here's the funny thing, is there are people who really do believe that he's incredible. Uh, are you guys familiar with a cartoonist named Ben Garrison? He is the guy who always does political cartoons that feature Trump as, like, insanely jacked mm-hmm. and really in shape. <laughs> Which, if you've seen Donald Trump, yeah, come on, no. everybody. He's a fat slug baby. He's, he's, uh, he's President Boss Baby, who <laughs> Donald's all the time. Uh, but this is how our buddy Ben Garrison has grown. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me find another, because uh, it, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, here we go. Here's another good one. Uh, so if Ben Garrison believes this, then dollars to donuts. Other people also believe this about Trump. Oh yeah, here boy. we are. Here we are. Here it comes. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he's like, he's got such a strong chest, uh, deflecting all like, those SJWs. And- <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. He's like horny for Trump. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a little like, thirsty. Yeah, these that, are like horny pictures for that for that morbidly obese man in his mid seventies. Morbidly obese, senile man. <laughs> I mean, do we have like an Article Twenty? That's not what is it? No, Twenty Fifth Amendment shot here. I mean, this like this feels like he has Why gone. He's like Donkey down. Kong at the top of the thing, throwing down barrels. Yeah, and uh, I mean. We've got the Democratic House now. So who are you um, saying is Jumpman? <laughs> uh, oh, we got a wide field. Fuck. I feel like it's Cory Booker. Yeah. I don't know. He's pretty fit. Uh, who Could be is, Elizabeth Warren. Who is uh, the princess? <laughs> America? The princess is America. <laughs> oh, America and the princess. Who's uh, Diddy calling <laughs> So yeah, let's recast. Ended. Let's recast the classic Mario universe <laughs> with current political figures. The the princess at this point is literally planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. We're all we're all gonna die in thirty years. You heard it here for her first. Folks. Yeah. Okay. So what what else is ha- is anything else happening though? I want to. I want to. Uh, I mean, like, the, yeah. There's a whole big yeah, world. You know? Yeah. I want to. I, I want to. Let's not just talk about Trump all the time. There are other things happening that are um, uh, being uh, worsened by Trump being a person. But but what are some of those things? Um, the Disney 20th Century Fox merger finalizes sometimes in, in the next couple of months. Like, it's moving apace, uh, mm. which is pretty bad for the entertainment industry for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Just, and just on the basis that monopolies are bad in general and yeah. are technically illegal, uh, but laws don't mean anything if you don't enforce them. So, uh, but Fantastic Four. I mean, we I mean, Fantastic Four will be coming to Marvel his, movies, uh, the X Men. <laughs> so, literally, the only thing worth looking forward to is uh, 
a bunch of poorly cast people as X-Men and the Fantastic Four showing up in these Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, finally getting a despecialized Star Wars Blu-ray. Mm. You think that's going to happen? I think it's probably going to happen. You think they're going to let it out of the vault? The <clears throat> vault? Yeah, because Lucas has no say over it anymore. So if they buy 20th Century Fox, which they will, uh, they can just say, all right, let them out. <laughs> joy now i've told tom this that i have no a special love for uh the james bond uh franchise thank you but uh if and when disney buys it that's <coughs> when i'm killing myself <laughs> <laughs> that that's the sign that it's done <laughs> it's done they own too much mm-hmm. um yeah we're we're the entertainment industry is like the monoculture really coalesced a lot faster than i thought i would mm. Because it's literally in every direction you look, whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars or superhero shit or, or YA stuff or anything else, literally every aspect of the culture right now is aimed squarely at people who are sort of under 17. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it all makes a ton of money. Yeah. Like a ton of money. It's designed to appeal to the widest audience possible and the youngest audience possible. And there's really not a lot of room or funding for anything that's not that. And it's kind of a depressing state of affairs. Yeah. Everything is awesome. (laughs) Everything is cool when you're part of a team. See, but here's the thing. If you just, um, in times... um of uh struggle uh, mother mary comes to me i knew you were gonna fucking do it and <laughs> I, I thought for a second mm-hmm. yes. that you were gonna give a real thing well you know and then frank, i said no he's gonna frank, quote the fucking beatles frank just let it be let it be <laughs> let it be let it be no i'm paul mccartney in the let it be documentary and we have a fucking podcast to run so i'm going to crack the whip on you like you're george harrison and make you do this podcast all i'm saying is um the long and winding road bum bum okay i'm done i'm out i quit <laughs> See bye you i'm gonna go marry this japanese lady <laughs> john and yoko oh how did you not get that? My <laughs> brain is not on. <laughs> Plat lads go to the movies. Plat lads go to the movies. Movies Ha! Ha 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 what movie did we watch, fellas? Uh, well, let me think. Uh, was it The Phantom Thread? No. Was it no. The Phantom, no. the um, purple superhero <laughs> <really> from, <laughs> from the early 90s? I don't think so. He slams Eve. Was it... Um, uh, Phantom of the Opera? Phantom of the Opera. I think that was it. It was, was that. Phantom, it was, yeah, we did, we're doing Phantom no, no, no. of the Opera. No, no, no. We revisited an old friend. Oh, we visited an old friend named Victor Solstrom oh. Oh. from his 1921 horror drama classic, The Phantom Carriage. 
And we picked this motion picture because it is set on uh, New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about a drunk old piece of shit. A real bastard. <laughs> and also played by Victor Solstrom. This is interesting because the previous movie we did uh, involved Victor Solstrom as an older man in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, also playing a real asshole. At the end of his life. like, kind of a, di- I would say in that in Wild Strawberries he's a, a dick. In this he's a, a, a monster, a fucking he's monster. Not a good person. Uh, and this is Victor Solstrom earlier in his career, earlier in his life, also playing a bad person who is redeemed. But this time he was uh, he directed it himself. Yes. Did, did he write it? Uh, I believe so. It was based on a Swedish short story. Um, let me actually pull up my info here. Let's see who wrote it. Uh, yeah, Victor Solstrom wrote the screenplay, but it was based on a uh, short story by a Swedish novelist. Ah, yes, uh, I know him. Yes. Swedish novelist. <laughs> He's my favorite. <laughs> uh, whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try. Is it Bershnin uh, Nargenberg? Yeah, it was the Swedish chef. Um, <laughs> um so anyway, Victor Solstrom plays a drunk old piece of shit mm-hmm. named David, David who Holm. is sitting in a graveyard on New Year's <laughs> Eve and there is a Salvation Army nurse who really wants this guy to repent because he's a real piece of shit and she wants to save him because this movie, uh, much like Night of the Hunter, which uh, was a movie we talked about a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, this is a movie that takes its morality very seriously. Yes. And it takes the sort of redemptive and repentant power of religion very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this dying Salvation Army nurse wish, uh, wishes for nothing but to see David one last time so that he may repent. Uh, so he's drinking with a piece of shit in the graveyard and telling a folk tale that the last person to die before the clock strikes 12 on New Year's becomes death. And he is the person who drives death ca- death's carriage as he collects souls. Uh, and as luck would have it, his other drunk piece of shit friend was the last person to die on New Year's. Mm-hmm. And who knows what happened to him? He, beca- well, he became a- death. Very good, Justin. Yeah. You didn't you didn't see that? I thought it was very clear. <laughs> yes, it's very clear that his best friend. I'm foreshadowing. <laughs> best friend became death because he gets hit in the head with a bottle which is bound to happen when you're a drunk piece of shit. And he dies before the stroke of midnight on New Year's. And his friend, much like Jacob Marley, not no Robert and Jacob Marley in here because it's not the baby shit Muppets Christmas. Oh, my God. (laughs) I am going to cut you. (laughs) Um, So much like Jacob Marley, uh, his former friend is here to visit him uh, on the night of his redemption in ghost form and take him not only through his life, but uh, his past and the pasts of others to see where he went wrong and to see if he can reform. And this movie uses special effects that were practical effects and were pretty state-of-the-art at the time, and can I say still look great? Uh, uh, There are so many things about these early films that did not need to be improved upon. They no. legitimately don't. Um, when people try to make a film more realistic, uh, as if they're trying to trick us into thinking we're not watching a movie, <laughs> right. that's bullshit. Uh, we did not have to progress 
filmically uh, since 1965. No, we don't have to have a whole ass movie centered around a CGI Josh Brolin looking like a fucking purple dickhead. Yeah. Uh, a, a literal fucking purple penis head in <laughs> shitty armor uh, uh, looking dead eyed, staring dead eyed at Robert Downey Jr., who's also in a CGI costume because that fucking armor ain't real. Yeah. Uh, staring in front of a green screen. Yeah. Nonsense. Bullshit. We, we don't need it. It's, uh, yeah. Looks like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like absolute shit. <laughs> you know right. what? My only complaint about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs oh, is that they use CGI blood. What? <laughs> CGI blood looks terrible. They should know better. You've set them off, Justin. (laughs) Uh, 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 Anywho. This has been Frank's Fracas. No, I'm not talking about this. (laughs) Actually, I'm done. (laughs) Um, What did we think of this film, fellas? I I really liked it. I, um... uh, It's it's so... uh, Everything is so uh, ratcheted up, and I think that's just because of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 the, like uh, wild strawberries is really uh, like subtle. The, mm. the shift in his soul, his 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 coldness is subtle, and then it, when it, like it's a small change, and it's all very. This one, he's literally like groveling for redemption, and 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 moved to tears, and before he's like coughing tuberculosis on the people, and and yeah, everything's. I, I honestly actually don't think it. Um, I bought all of that legitimately that he is it's i didn't feel it was actually that heightened at all um uh in in the film i thought it was an extreme performance but of an extreme man that being said i also agree with you because i didn't find it believable what i really wanted and maybe it's because it's so early on i really wanted them to show any reason for his change because we do see the earliest flashback of him with his family and it's idyllic it's actually very wild strawberries his Mm. flashbacks there um and it's a he gives a great performance throughout in that early scene he seems like a really joyful loving father (laughs) um Mm. and then just uh he meets a new friend who introduces him to drink which I yeah that's one thing I love about this movie that it, according to this movie there's only two ways to live your life in 1920s Sweden mm-hmm. which is to hold down a job and start a family or just to be a full time booze hound yeah like yeah. You know, what do you, what do we do we just drink and uh, we yeah. go to bars we drink we hang out in graveyards and drink S- sounds fucking great <laughs> you just drink all day you don't work who cares if you have a family <laughs> you go to jail you get out you drink some more but like if they gave any sort of reason besides it being like an abstinence uh uh temperance temperance exactly then i could fully believe the entire film well you you gotta think about the context of the time Mm -hmm. um in that time period drinking and alcoholism was really still seen more as a character defect Mm -hmm. than a disease um, or an illness, or or whatever the latest uh, research is on alcoholism, I le- I believe the cutting edge is trying to link it to a sort of behavioral disorder, mm. almost or like a, a uh, um a, a, a neuro- neurological thing. Um, 
but at the time, uh, alcoholic alcoholism was a moral failing, um, and his transformation is a moral one. Mm. Um, so his descent into drinking is uh, a moral decay. His uh, renewed abstinence is a uh, moral redemption, um, especially if, you know from a, such an intensely Christian country as Sweden came to be. Uh, the, that's just the values that they have or had. Um, and you, you mentioned the structure a little bit and how, how sort of detailed everything and the flashbacks were. Um, so famously, a young Ingmar Bergman saw this film in theaters. Uh, and it's when he was first struck by Victor Solstrom as a director and an actor. Uh, and I guarantee you that 30 years later, that's where he, that's why he decided to A, cast Victor Solstrom in Wild Strawberries and mm-hmm. B, give wild strawberries the structure that it had with its reliance on flashbacks and its morality tale nature. It's a hundred percent because of this movie. Yeah. I I would say my, what I wanted from this movie, I guess you could say was corrected in wild strawberries. (laughs) Yeah. But that one doesn't have cool ghost shit. (laughs) It does not. It does not. Uh, And that, that movie, you know, benefits modern audiences a little bit more by having, you know, a, a few decades of uh, uh, social and uh, philosophical uh, changes in thought that occurred in between. So, you know, there was suddenly this whole debate about religion in public life and uh, and in political life that probably wasn't there in 1921. Yeah. One thing about this, this movie is that um, uh, unless I'm forgetting something, there's not very much overt christianity no true yeah i mean it's just there's the mysticism of the ghost and the superstition of of death and the the ghost uh uh, collector of souls uh and then obviously they're they're working oh what was what was the i love swedish i might learn swedish soon (laughs) i just i i every bit of swedish i see i love it's like an imaginary english with no latin influence Mm. Uh, what was the word for uh, the the Salvation Army? Uh, oh, uh, it was like slumboard. Or something. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and which so is nuts. It's great, and like obviously the the the, the sisters, the nuns were were pretty religious and uh, talked about salvation. But like there was no there was no quoting scripture. Exactly. What, yeah. What we're mostly focused on in in that uh, uh, arc. Uh, is the one Salvation Army sister. Yeah. Edith. Um, She has chosen David Holm as her uh, project, basically, because he was the first one to come to them. Um, And she says to uh, the current death, like, uh, he's the man that I love. Like, I I love him. And at first I was like, "Uh." Uh and then I was like, oh, oh, no, no. Okay, I get, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not that kind of love. No, yes, it's it's the the true love for a sinner. It's love through uh, Christ. Um, yeah. I uh, so I cried. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Of <laughs> a, a few times. Um, I didn't see this on your Instagram. Are you just prepping it? Well, this it's hard to to do a silent film. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, because it's five minutes of uh, hand waving, and then <laughs> and then context is given. You're right. Yeah. Um, but I I thought the performances were actually wonderful. I'll, I'll just pick the, my favorite scene um, is when David Holm 
first comes to the Salvation Army, and he's a drunk asshole. Uh, they offer him food. They're, they're very sweet to him. Uh, he says, I don't want food. I just want to sleep. While he's asleep, the, the sister mends his clothes, and I cried because she, see, she is so full of uh, love and so happy that she's doing this. Um, when he wakes up, you think he's, he's inspecting it, and it's, it's like, oh, wow, this is wonderful. And then he asks, uh, can I see the person who did this? And it broke my heart that in her face, he tears out all of the patches she's sewn into it. It's like, I, I, I'm used to it this way. Um, I actually think that the, uh, the characterization was actually fairly subtle. With, we didn't get a satisfying backstory of why. We just got alcohol. <laughs> no, we got, we got a little bit of a backstory in that uh, uh, he, he does a, a short prison stint uh, during his first bout of drinking. And when he comes out, his wife and family have picked up and left and took off across uh, Sweden. And uh, he's been searching for them. And he was so hurt by this abandonment while he was in prison. And that's what sort of that before he was a drinker, but now he's, he's like just a nihilist misanthrope. He coughs on people to quote, finish them off and give them his tuberculosis. That's true. Yeah. But I, I don't personally think that, that, uh, that relapse. Um, I actually think that's why it's subtle. I, I don't buy that as being, uh, he was just a, a, a fine drunk. And then he became unhinged, uh, at that. Um, I think it, it's actually a very beautiful uh, uh, thing for anybody struggling with addiction or or wanting to change your life. You get that initial impulse, and it, this impulse was his brother uh, is going to prison because he murdered Killed somebody guy, yeah. when yeah. he was drunk, and then he's I'm gonna put my life together, and but that first snag, that first hurdle of uh, a failure it's like no fuck it you know and i throughout he's being a total monster but you see moments of him uh like of quiet contemplation you know behind his eyes it's actually especially for at that time a very subtle silent film performance you know yeah yeah i thought there was a lot of um realism for the silent film there's a lot of dialogue that happened that you just kind of intuited what it was that wasn't put on the uh the the, the intertitles uh or whatever they're called uh and uh yeah the, the uh, victor solstrom wonderful actor yeah love his face great face he's like grumpy he does, cat he's a great face. he is one of those people <laughs> that look 60 without a mustache and yeah. he looked <laughs> late 20s with a mustache yeah, there were there were because he's so old in Wild Strawberries, it would kind of really change his appearance. Uh, he and had to be like middle aged around this, this one. one. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and and there were moments where it came to me in a flash, where it's just oh no, that's the same man. Yeah, uh, but so he's so he was sixty eight, I believe, in Wild Strawberries, so he would have been in his like mid thirties. Yeah, I could see which that. is middle age back then. Yeah, can we yeah. Just talk about how terrifying life was? That uh, it was that weird little time between uh, uh, the discovery of germ theory, but before antibiotics. Mm. So uh, he had TB, 
and uh, it was on his coat, and they had a sterilizing oven that wasn't on yet, and it killed her. It gave her her yeah. death. Qu- quick question. I hadn't thought about this. Was this set uh, con- uh, a contemporary film? Contemporaneously? Yeah. Uh, I believe so. Let okay. me look that up, actually. Because I hadn't thought that uh, of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe it was set contemporaneously. It was set in 1921. That's still earlier than you think, especially in countries that aren't the United States. Yeah, mm. yeah. Even in the United States, uh, yeah, there were some weird, like, most people didn't have electricity. Uh, there were, like, no automobiles. We were still on, a like, a horse and train-based infrastructure. We still had to boil our water mm-hmm. uh, to prevent, like, uh, typhus and things like this. We uh, still sort of had cowboys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, what is uh, it? I mean, uh, didn't... This could be the wrongest thing you've ever said, or I've ever said, but, like, didn't, like, General Custer's last stand happened in 1932 or something. <laughs> That's pretty wrong, I think. He was uh, uh, driving in a, a Model T with a, uh, a Tommy gun. He's firing guns out of the Model T. Um, anyway, when did we discover penicillin by accident? Some email us. <laughs> yeah, email us at, at pladladspod at gmail.com. When did we? I, I have a computer in front of me. This is something I can look up. But, um, uh, and one last note on alcohol back then is that, uh, people used to drink a lot. Mm. Uh, like 1928, we still had not accidentally discovered penicillin. Mm. What was the year again? 1928. 1928. Goddamn. And literally, they weren't even trying. He just left a petri dish out and mold got in it. Because he was stupid. What a jerk. Yeah, dummy. Yeah. Hate that guy. Hope he's dead. Let's fuck you, Alexander Fleming. Boom. Uh, Fleming. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, phlegm. Phlegm like a fucking science. Yeah, why don't you take some penicillin, you phlegmy bitch? <laughs> <laughs> you probably wouldn't have died. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, as a whole, I, I like it. Uh, a lot of portions of it I love. What's What's the... What's the moral of the story? Uh, the last line. Uh, it's something like, uh, uh, like I, I pray to God that uh, oh, right, 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 my right. soul may ma- mature, uh, reach maturity before I'm, I'm reaped. I'm before I'm yeah. harvested. Which, which I think, oh, that's a beautiful sentiment. That yeah, that that follows with this this story. Uh, you've got the the young uh, Salvation Army girl who all she wants is to save this man's soul. And in a very real way, not um, as Tom was saying, not in a like super religious way. No, he's a monster of a man, but he, he could be a good man. He used to be. Um, and she is taken uh, before her time. Uh, even though she is a wise older soul, she um, begs death to give her a little more time to reach uh, David home. Uh, and she does. And he is a child. That's that's a, a, a thing throughout the entire film. He's acting like a malicious child. By the way, uh, the Shining straight up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, rips the axe. Off the axe. Oh, yeah, yeah. They ripped it. That's This is where the famous shot of Jack Torrance comes from mm-hmm. with the axe through the door is uh, the Phantom Carriage. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, 
it's pretty effective in this. Oh yeah. yeah, it's it looks great in both movies, which is not often something that happens with overt homages. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like it's it's literally shot for shot. Yeah, I yeah I like this one. This one this one's more terrifying because it had uh, more of a. Uh, a thing of realism in that he didn't just hack straight through the door. He uh, mm. he, he hacked it up, but it was kind of like stopping along the way and had to like pull on the doorknob and mm. uh, to get it to open. And and you don't fully know his motivation at that moment. You don't know he's, what he's going to do. He's drunk. He was locked in there because his wife is uh, looking to run away. And so he's chopping through the door. Is he going to try to murder her? No, she passes out and he gives in, her in water. Terror. She passes out in mm-hmm. terror at this fucking scene but it legitimately could have gone 50 50 yeah yeah also if you've never if you've only seen the shining which i think most people have Mm -hmm. and you've never seen this before which probably most people have Mm -hmm. and you see that for the first time it's an amazing like holy shit Mm -hmm. yeah that's where that's where that's from yeah moment one last quick question for you guys and i think we should move on uh i watched the criterion collection uh version of this what was the music situation like in yours i I own the criterion collection version uh, but i watched it on youtube because i wanted (laughs) to watch it on my ipad while laying in my bed but i believe it's the same uh i looked it up and it is the same one uh it's by a swedish composer uh a modern one the that score right uh i'll look it up uh I is thought, fucking incredible. I thought it was a little bit Mickey Mousey at points. Uh, well, I mean, th- I mean that is that's all silent scores. Yeah, kind of. It's a, that is the thing with silent movies. Unless you do one of those silent movies where they get some sort of electronic band right. to do a new score, which it's apparently kind of, is a uh, one of the options on the Criterion. It uh, is. Yeah. I've never watched it with that. Yeah, and I just kind of want to. I, I probably will, like, eh, sometime later this year. Uh, everybody watch A Trip to the Moon, the silent film classic, uh, the uh, one scored by air. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Also watch uh, Robert Flaherty's classic uh, pseudo-documentary Man of Aaron with the score by uh, British Sea Power. Uh, the the uh, Swedish composer that I believe me and Tom at least uh, heard was um, uh, Mati Bai. That is the one I heard as well, because yeah. I, I have the criterion. But I, I'm going to do that electronic score one of these yeah. days, because I never do it with that. Yeah, I'm going to put an electronic score over this episode. Let's get out of this silent era and turn into an era where the sound is recorded for musically purposes. This week on the pod. This week on the pod. <laughs> what are we talking about, Tom? Ah, are damn we it, talking you. about? We're talking about 1975's Another Green World by none other than Brian the J. Enoith. No, Brian Eno, the famous guy from Roxy Music, producing every album you've ever heard and uh, being a weirdo. Being a big old. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this record, I believe, was uh, number three in, in the yes. order of solo efforts. It is the, uh, well, all, all of his solo records are fantastic. Uh, all of his music is fantastic. He's Brian Fucanino. He's I mean. Brian Fuckinino. Uh So, uh, this one is, uh, you know, he's getting into the, the, the spacey stuff. 
Uh, so, uh, uh, famously collaborating, uh, probably uh, most importantly, with uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Fripp of uh, King Crimson fame, amongst other things, uh, with his... Uh, of was it Frippatronic sound that uh, that compressed awesome guitar and alternate tuning? Uh, Phil Collins, the drummer, coming in on the drum kits on this one uh, uh, for a lot of songs. Uh, John Cale of Velvet Underground fame also in the uh, in the mix. Uh, so this it was it was a great set of little people and a great set of little time. Uh, all these people making music. Now I'm rambling. Okay, so the and. One last thing is a little bit of a backstory. Uh, so they go into the studio and uh, things aren't really going very productively. Uh, so Brian Eno deploys his now infamous oblique strategies, which are very expensive <laughs> to buy. Yeah, he he. Has, there's a Twitter account that just posts one every day. So what these are is these are strategies, particularly for music production, but. Uh, uh, you can, I guess you can use them for any kind of art form if you kind of abstract their essence, but they're. Uh, they're oblique strategies. They're they're ways of of getting the juices going creatively uh, that are in unusual ways. So uh, examples are uh, do what you wouldn't, mm-hmm. or 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 change the instrument, mm-hmm. or uh, or or something that is very uh, uh, music based of like change the key <laughs> or change speed yes. it up a little. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, or or play like a flower. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of weird stuff, and then uh, there's a little little quote here uh, uh, on the Wikipedia page, which I'm reading off of. It said, "Eno gave us all a bit of paper, and we made lists from one to fifteen. Eno said number two, we all play a G; number seven, we all play a C sharp, and so on. So it was like painting by numbers. So Brian Eno, famous for using weird editing techniques, cutting literally cutting up the tapes of his recording sessions, and often the session musicians would have no idea what it was going to sound like until they heard the final product. Uh, so, another Green World, take it away. Um, here's the thing about Brian Eno: it's because he is such a um, one. He's a such a normal man. <laughs> which, he is. He's apparently super regular. Yeah, which is oh, I love so much. But he makes, uh, uh, especially with this album, he starts going into more electronic things. Um, but it's the most human sounding and mm. earthy sounding electronic music, uh, especially even his like ambient albums uh, have none of that um, uh, sterile gloss to it. It's, it's not. It's not space rock. Exactly. It's it's um, uh, some gorgeous stuff. And I think there's nobody who makes music like Brian Eno because it's such a subtle thing to it that it's not his music more than it's it's a um, a group experiment. He's not writing these things like by himself, and it's not even a jam because it's it's it, he's finding it in the editing. He's doing all of this stuff. Uh, that there's no music that's even um, has the same feel to it. It's it's such a special thing, and especially this album, because it's uh, it's just gorgeous. I've got some crying stories, but I'll let you guys talk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so this album is incredible. Um, it's maybe the best 
solo Brian Eno album. Hard with to call. Here, Here Come the Warm Jets being a incredibly close, almost a tie. Yeah. Number two. And then big chunks of his ambient stuff mm. sort of trailing afterwards, especially the uh, music for airports mm-hmm. one. Um, but with what would make it go from an A plus plus, I think, to an A plus 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 is if he had maybe gone with what it seemed like his instincts were for this album and done it as entirely instrumental. Mm. There's a, there's a weirdness with these before he goes full ambient. Uh, and I, I, I maybe, uh, so, okay. So the, his last, uh, uh, record where there's just songy songs on it, mm. uh, where he sings his before and after science and that record yeah, is taking tiger mountain, taking tiger mountains after before and no, after no, science. No, Tom saying the last one he's made. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Before he, before he yeah. just goes off in the ambient land, uh, things like discreet music and etc. Uh, so, uh, the album is basically cut in half between side A and side B, where uh, side A is very kind of like funky, songy songs that are almost kind of just like silly. Like the epitome of this is King's Lead Hat, but like that whole side of the record is just so like it's great, but it's goofy. Mm. And the 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 B side of that record is just soul crushingly, achingly beautiful. Uh, vast ambient songs with this beautiful scope uh, and this record is kind of the same way because uh, Another Green World has the big ship uh, one of the most effective deployment of that chord progression that is in everything insane which uh, I'll, I'll jump in with my first crying story um, so I randomly a couple years ago watched the movie Me and Earl and the Dying Girl uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. which I, I loved yeah. And I, and it's about a girl who is dying, but it's a from the a, a friend of hers perspective, and the scene where she dies, the big ship is playing, and I was not yeah. um, expecting that, and I legitimately was weeping for a straight week after that. <laughs> um, Brian, you know, <laughs> often does the music for films, um, and uses his own music. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. I l- kind of love. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, this record has the big ship, which is the big instrumental ambient thing, which is beautiful, but it also has other tracks. Uh, let me find them. What's the, the, the uh, name of the album opener? Sky saw sky saw, mm-hmm. which is just like, yeah, it's, 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 but it's just so funky and it's got mm-hmm. so much slap bass. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and like there were a few times on this record where he definitely kind of shoehorned a song onto an existing kind of like sound collage. Mm. I, I, I the only song that I, that keeps it from being like perfect is "I'll Come Running." It's a good song, but that's a song on this album of that half songs when they are yeah. songs, you know. I would say that the song that kind of breaks the skin of the album for me a little bit whenever I listen to it is usually St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, explain it's, yourself. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad song. Mm-hmm. Something about it 
never fits, never kind of fits on the record for me. I completely disagree. And I knew you would. Maybe it's just my personal experience of having come to this record, but for some reason, uh, my whole conception of this record was sort of anchored around St. Elmo's Fire. Like, if you say Another Green World, I think, oh, St. Elmo's Fire and Friends. It's it's almost as if uh, St. Elmo's Fire is um, um, a a capsule uh, that is placed in water and it dissolves into the rest of the album. See, I think of this album as the big ship and friends. I I think as I've grown older, that is, I'm not saying that um, St. Elmo's Fire is the best or my favorite. I would say actually Somber Reptiles uh, is, and actually Golden Hours, I, I actually is my one at the moment. Um. But you're hmm. such a fucking idiot, Frank. <laughs> it's it's a little too is it too up tempo. Is it is it is it yeah. Fripp's solo? Is it Fripp's soaring solo that's maybe throwing it for you? No, I like that part. It's it. Well, what the I, fuck is your problem? <laughs> he's so Brian Eno's an interesting to good singer. The okay. vocals on this track kind of bug me, and I don't know why. Um. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it for some reason his vocals just kind of, just kind of break it a little bit for me and I think it would service better as a song without vocals. I'm just going to I'm going to end this cat fight and ask you guys what you think of uh everything merges with the night. It's great. It makes me cry. Yeah. That's Along song, with the big ship. Everything it, it is a beautiful song, but it almost feels like um forgive me. Almost feels like like an eagle song or something (laughs) (laughs) it's like this big 12 string guitar thing happening and uh it's like this really kind of like like just moving acoustic ballad thing Mm. i don't know it's just like it's great it's quintessentially eno but at the same time it's like it's like eno is uh vincent d'onofrio uh, in Men in Black of the Eagles. That's the worst analogy ever made. But. <laughs> I emailed this joke to five minutes ago when you said it was like an Eagles song. Uh, Glenn Fry's casket was just broken open from his boner at somebody comparing uh, his work to Brian Eno. And the dirt is just slowly filling in. <laughs> um, uh, my second crying thing. Uh, which leads me to my um, conception as a whole of, of this album, uh, is when my brother's um, dog died, uh, Bandit, who I loved very deeply. Uh, when she died, uh, as soon as I heard, I went out behind my barn and put on Another Green World, the a whole album, and uh, and wept. And, and I felt... Uh, uh, very comforted by the album because it's Brian Eno can often uh, times be thought of as uh, not cold so much, but that cerebral. Sort of, that yeah, artistic yes. kind of abstract. Yes, yeah. um, arch. But th- this album, I, I, I is music of ascension. Um, 
it's um, sad and beautiful, but ultimately uplifting. He gets he gets stuck on themes, Brian. You know, uh, I referenced uh, before and after science earlier. Every single one of the songs on that album references water, mm-hmm. sailing, boats, uh, rivers. Uh, every last one. So he he gets he gets into things. He's not afraid to let an entire album have a theme like that. Yeah, and like every aspect of the music, um, uh, and with the oblique strategies. Like he says, he doesn't really care about the lyrics or know what they mean. Uh, he's just, and I believe it in, in terms of the whole thing because it's, um, he's going on instinct. You know, he's going on what uh, he's throwing it on the on the wall and seeing what sticks and fits and feels right. It's it's music um, created by feeling, which uh, can seem a little odd to say about it. We're going to have to someday. Uh, we've already done Fear of Music, which is an album he produced for Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to someday uh, uh, do uh, my yes. my view in the bush of ghosts with uh, David Byrne. With David Byrne, because I, I have the record. I've heard it, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the story behind it, sort of the cerebral. That's he found his cerebral life mate <laughs> with David Byrne, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, that's when they both went off the deep end with this shit. Like the conceptual uh, genesis of that record is so confusing and changed so much. And versus like an actual musical end product, we're gonna have to like talk about it someday. I just got to get your guys' take. I'm not saying yeah. we're gonna love it. We're just gonna talk about it. <laughs> the the 2008 one that they did, uh, everything that happens will happen today, is also very good. Um, I highly suggest out there uh, and to you guys uh, read the article written by Lester Bangs where he hung out with Brian Eno. It's uh, hilarious and uh, wonderful and it really shows Brian Eno is just a guy. He wanted yeah. to like, hey Lester, you know where we can go to maybe like meet girls or something? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, There's a, a story where he was in a antique store and he bumped into PJ Harvey, uh, who is who the both of them are very sort of in their artistic lives known for being these sort of big weirdos who transform themselves constantly, mm. but in regular life are just incredibly normal mm. English people. And they apparently bumped into each other and had a very nice conversation about pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I can't I can't see him he's 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 not like his friend David Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> who would just be like Ooh. Anyway, thank you, thank you. Uh, so uh, David Byrne impression. <laughs> don't even mention it. Um, uh, so I just wanted to share this experience. So earlier on in the podcast, I referenced a show I played out in Reading, Pennsylvania, and that happened. Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading, Pennsylvania. Is that a house venue called The Upside Down at Albright College? Uh, shout out to all of those, and what a wonderful place it is. Shout out to you. And you, you and you, you and you and you and you and you behind the pole there. Uh, so uh, on the drive home, it's like a two-hour drive back to Jersey, and it was like the middle of the night, and it was uh, uh, along the PA Turnpike through uh, through the uh, the Alleghenies, the Poconos, or whatever the the Appalachians, and uh, and uh, it was dark, and there were these 
I was just alone on the road, and the only other cars were these like occasional trucks that would either be a mile ahead or a mile behind, and I would just see their headlights, and I had another Green World on, and it was just this these invisible mountains in the darkness looming out mm -mm. there, known but unknown, and just the the landscape curving and rolling by, and these headlights distantly approaching in the mist, and it was one of the most perfect music experiences of my life. Uh, it was incredibly, it was beautiful, transcendent, peaceful. Uh, so if you've got like uh, like forty dollars worth of gas to kill, <laughs> uh, do that. I, just do a cross country jaunt while uh, listening to this record. Cool. Um, uh, fuck this album. Um, Here comes Small the Craft on Milk Sea is better. Mm. Uh, ambient two reptiles. Yeah, no. What's better than this? Uh, Avalon by Roxy Music, one of the ones he isn't on. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. gotta do that album one day. Joshua Tree. <laughs> Joshua Tree. <laughs> are we not men? We are Devo is better. I always get who, that's great. What's the that one? A, no, I, it's not. This is this is better. <laughs> Who's better? That John, is a great album though. Or did John Cale produce? That's what that I. One. That's what I'm trying no, to. No, that's Eno. Brian, Eno. Eno did Devo. Who did John Cale do? Patty Smith. He did one of them. One of the weirdos yeah. from that time. Let's look this up. Did Horses by Patty Smith. It was Run DMC. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Can you guys give me some of your thoughts on tonight's Eagles game? Eagles? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think it was a good game uh, played by both uh, squads. Shut the fuck up, Justin. <laughs> uh... Who's coming to breakfast? Elaine Morris. This week on Frasier, we guess who's coming to breakfast? Elaine Morris. The answer. All right, give us the plot there, Justin. Dr. Frazier Crane. Uh, his father fucks a lady, and Frazier tells the world that lady's sad by in this. He's a terrible psychiatrist. He tells some school bullies to beat up a child. <laughs> and <laughs> that, he, that kid had it coming. That did, yeah, that's true. Don't talk back to Frazier Crane. Also, some more disgusting niles niles is a grossman and <laughs> and but there's a, a good happy ending um when i'm assuming dr frazier's son man dad fucks again as the sex is this twice two times he's fucked this anyway, Frasier, season one, episode 13, guest is coming to breakfast. I said it before. I'll say it again. And I will not stop saying it until this country 
has come to its goddamn senses and will live up to those beautiful stars and stripes. God bless America. Real tears, real tears on Justin's face right now. That I love, stand beside her and guide her. Elaine uh, Moore's. So here's the thing about Martin fucking. Guy got shot in the hip. Yeah. So no matter what position you're in, there's got to be some like mm, I discomfort feel like there. He's he's probably not doing all the work here. Yeah. Um, he's probably just no, being ridden into the ground. No, but he's not the kind of guy who um who will uh, accept that he 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 will go through some pain uh, <laughs> to give her that pleasure. There's a great line I feel that like he the has. Pro- <laughs> Yeah. There's a great line that he has where uh, he's yelling at Frazier about talking about the fact that he had a, a woman over on the radio for an entire city to hear. <laughs> and he very rightly makes the point, you know, the sex is private. Mm-hmm. It's between you and the person you're doing it to. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it's that a, was hilarious. It's an awesome line. It's a great line. <laughs> um, But I'm sure he's nope what no go what? ahead are we still talking about what uh marty crane's like in the sack i'm sure he's a sensitive lover and loves to eat that puss <laughs> oh my god i thought you were gonna say he eats the booty like groceries oh jesus what is going on i'm ashamed <laughs> have we learned nothing from this episode <laughs> no we haven't uh, speaking of, gross, we're speaking uh, of a man now dead. <laughs> <laughs> a man that you killed. Hey, you watch it, Buster. Uh, anyway, can we can we gr- can we just jump real quick to uh, Niles being a grosso? And I hate this podcast we're doing. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe <quit. laughs> maybe it's that or no, it's not that at all. It's it's Frasier. It's Frasier's fault. The the television show, but rewatching it, I'm truly disgusted by Niles. I gotta say, are, are we referencing the kitchen scene? The kitchen scene, the beginning of it, the, where it's yeah. he continues to be the one note disgusting. It's it gets better. Yeah, I feel like this one was the first one where it was less perverse and more endearing well yeah it's well it still starts perverse but then there's a great bit of physical comedy really brilliant bit of physical comedy i feel like they were still dialing niles in Mm -hmm. and this is the first time where i felt like this is the way he stays obsessed with her where it's transparent but in uh it's it's he started out kind of more like uh skeezy yeah i mean like the rich guy who's like a prick and the sexual stuff like the dresses uh it it seems more Mm. it seems like cuter now Mm. yeah the the triple impact of the pratfall yes is the I think the first time they realized that David Hyde Pierce was amazing. In, yeah. Incredibly gifted. Yes. At, at doing that kind of a thing. He's It's like, it's one of the favorite things I have about the show is David Hyde Pierce's physical comedy mm-hmm. throughout. Uh, it's yeah. It's, it's incredible. I mean, we speaking of like the phantom carriage, a thing that's wonderful about Frasier 
is the many different styles of comedy uh, that yes. they do uh, that are, I mean, you've got the, um, uh, like, uh, 19, uh, 30s, 40s romantic snappy, uh, romantic comedy snappy dialogue. You've yeah. got the uh, Buster Keaton specifically-esque uh, physical comedy of straight-faced uh, of Niles. And um, Kelsey Grammer uh could Being would be a, a great yeah. silent film actor. He <laughs> yeah. does a lot Paces. of Yes, he does a lot of brilliant face acting. He has an amazing face. It's huge. Well, no, <laughs> he has an amazing it. face in the beginning of this episode uh where Roz is going on a date with the Star Trek nerd. Mm -hmm. Uh first time meeting him. First time. Noel. Noel the mole. Mm -hmm. Um which this poor actor by the way. Yeah. Just getting shit on by the writers of the show. Um, so he makes an amazing face when he says to Roz, I believe he has a signed picture of Captain James T. Kirk at his desk. And he makes this shit-eating face that is incredible. Yes. But it also made me think that uh, in 1993, that made this man a nerd. In 2019... That would make this guy a cool guy with a bunch of tattoos. That's yeah. true. Like, it also glasses. It would it would make him a man with many thousands of dollars. Know how hard it would be to get a fucking autograph uh, yeah. Shatner poster at this Shatner? point? Yeah. No, he's gonna charge you like five hundred bucks <laughs> at least for a new one. Um, there are a few endearing. Yeah. yeah, he's not a nerd anymore. In 2019, he's a super cool guy with a podcast. Whoa! Yeah. This reminds me of something that you talk about sometimes, Justin. Where mm. you used to be afraid to go into comics book stores because you're not enough of a nerd. Yeah. And you would want to smash the nerds. Yes. <laughs> and now you can't go into a comic book store. Because you're not as much of a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a man with no a country. <laughs> I'll just drive around my car and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, by the way, bro. we should say the um, uh, the little kid guest, the shitty little kid who's uh, a little piece of shit jerk mm. to Frazier, yeah. uh, calls into the show. That is uh, Elijah Wood. Oh, oh, and um, later on, we got a mother who's concerned about her uh, daughter having sex, Piper Laurie. Piper Laurie from Twin Peaks and a million billion other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there, the old guy was... Uh, the Victor Stromsberg, <laughs> the ghost <yeah>. of. <laughs> it was somebody. It was somebody famous. Um, there are a couple of endearing uh, things about uh, scenes in this episode. I really like that uh, Frazier and Daphne went to a bit of experimental theater uh, to get out of yeah, yeah. Uh, Niall um, Martin's hair. I, I like him like, you know, oh, yeah, Daphne one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but then there's it's a ruined weird thing. Uh-huh. There's a weird thing at the very end of this yes. episode. I don't mean to step on what you're saying. No, no, I, I was just about to say it. Go on. Okay, go ahead. No, no, no you say it because I can't okay. think. <laughs> because at the very end of the episode, yeah. Martin and this old woman go to fuck or whatever inside the room. Mm -hmm. And Daphne and Fraser in the hallway. Yeah. And Daphne says something to the effect of, oh, look at us, you know, single, you know, we've got nothing going on on a Friday night or whenever it is. 
and Fraser says, you know, we're single, attractive, in the prime of our lives. Uh, and Daphne says, well, I think the solution is uh, right under our noses. And Fraser starts getting into it yeah. and says... Oh, I think so too, Daphne. The implication being mm-hmm. that they're gonna fuck. Yeah. I mean, immediately diffused, diffused by Daphne saying, oh, "Okay, so the laundry's downstairs. I'll, I'll give you the the clothes." Yeah. That's a but thing. I, the writers were going for it. Yeah, that's a thing that I, for the most part, this show does <clears throat> not touch. Uh, uh, they truly are more like family. And I find this disgusting, especially because it's an employer-employee relationship. Very it's- weird. You know, the, uh, uh, the character of Fraser Crane does have a history of, of finding uh, uh, perceived sexual attraction in yes. inappropriate partners. That's, that's true. Famous for the line, are you as turned on as I am? <laughs> yes. There's another endearing... I, 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 I love when they um, play into uh, Fraser and uh, Roz's mm. friendship. Um, because they are such different characters, but, um, they are, uh, I, I think intellectual equals just mm-hmm. different tastes. Um, and there's a, just a very delightful scene of them, uh, fucking around and not listening to a caller. And, uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's very cute and they're making each other laugh. I love it. Yeah, of course. This is that is also complicated. Like four or five seasons later, when they then almost fuck. If you no, remember that episode, they, but they yeah. they do fuck, don't they? No, they don't. They never fuck. No, they fuck. No, they get they get close they, in no, one no, episode. No, 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 Frank, they fuck. They fuck at some point. No, I, they get close and then don't. But then later on, they do. <laughs> yeah. Let's oh, let's quickly oh, oh, off oh, the top oh, of our heads yes. list who fucks who. Correct. You're correct. You're correct. Uh, Niles fucks Daphne and Lilith. Lilith. <laughs> Fraser fucks <laughs> Lilith. Lilith. Um, Roz. Roz. Um, Martin. Bunch of different ladies. A bunch of different ladies. Was there a, was there ever a love triangle <laughs> between Fraser and his father? And a woman. He no. Yeah. Uh, 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 when he first yeah. meets, oh, what's her name? What do they call her on the show? She's in everything. She's in Spin City. Yeah. She's in. I think, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. she was in Just Shoot Me. Just uh, shoot me. Oh God, what the hell do they I call know her? You're talking about. I don't remember the actor's name or the character's name. Anyway, when they've reintroduced the woman who Martin eventually <laughs> marries at the end of the series, uh, Frasier uh, is into her first. And he's excited to know that she's come by, but disappointed to find it's just she's here to see Martin. Yeah. I think off pod, me and Tom uh, uh, remarked that the woman that um, um, the romantic love interest in this episode is more suitable for Frazier than any of the women <laughs> probably that he's ever with. <laughs> And this is a weird... Did you notice the, a weird thing? This is one of the last times for a while. No, no, there are a couple after this. But there's a point where Martin starts dating only age-inappropriate women for a little bit. Mm. <clears throat> he dates an old lady for like two seasons. Sherry? Mm. Hey, ah, fuck Frazier. It's a shit show. Wings is better. Wings is... Ah, fuck Wings! No, Tim Daly's good. Fuck Tim Daly. Recommendations. Recommendations. 
Recommendations. It's a family affair. <laughs> Recommendations. One book that I just read. <laughs> God damn it. All right. So what are we what are we listening to? What are we watching? What are we feeling? What are I'm we gonna seeing? start first. Two graphic novels by a man named Matt Felon or Felon. I don't know. He does a lot of... Uh, I'm um, feeling like it's felon. He does a lot of children's books, but he has a few older graphic novels. Uh, one is called Bluffton, the first one I read of his, and it's so fucking gorgeous. Uh, it's based on uh, history. It's uh, Buster Keaton when he was a child. Uh, his favorite times were uh, spending summers at a place called Bluffton. And it's uh, about... It's a, um, it's about a young boy who lives there and... Uh, becoming friends with Buster and, and dealing with his own stuff. It's goddamn gorgeous. Uh, but he had an earlier graphic novel called The Storm in the Barn set in uh, the Dust Bowl. Uh, it's uh, magical realism. It's fathers and sons. Uh, it made me cry. You can check that out on uh, some things that made me cry on Instagram. Uh, it's beautiful. Check it out. Go to your local library. Uh, take stuff out and consume art. Uh, art's what makes humanity uh, worth it, besides love and fucking. And fucking. And food uh-huh. and drugs. <laughs> and drinking. Do, do drugs, drink a lot of booze, fuck a lot. That's our motto. And we're read children's books. And we're just... <laughs> okay. We're uh, just heathens and libertines here on the Plaid Lads yeah. pod. That's a joke. That's a joke, by the way. Anyone listening to this show... That's a joke, 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 parody joke. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, I'll go next. Yeah. All right, so uh, I, I've got kind of, it's a weird one. Uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm always the weak sauce in the recommendations. Uh, so a, a, a British uh, a British contemporary kind of bizarre comedy uh, that I caught all at once one night on IFC. I wound up staying up till like uh, five in the morning to watch it all because they do this weird thing where they deliberately set it up to be DVR'd. But anyway, it's called Fleabag. Uh, Hell yeah! That fuck, show rules. That show is great. Uh, so it follows this this uh, uh, this woman about thirty ish years old, and she's running a cafe that's failing, and she's got a lack of, uh, completely you know preposterous love life and a weird family life. Uh, and it has a re- really great portrayal of of of, of sexuality uh, and, and 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 struggling with one's character flaws and. Uh, uh, it has one of my favorite fucking devices I've seen in a while where uh, she, uh, uh, the main protagonist, constantly breaks the fourth wall mid-dramatic acting scene and, and uh, really excellently done. And uh, it's, 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 like, it's very prominent at first, but it's integrated so well into the show, especially when the season heightens to its emotional crescendo, uh, the way that this fourth wall device is deployed. It's amazing. Uh, and my, so that's Fleabag. Uh, which you can find on television, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. There we go. Uh, uh, And my other recommendation, this is a bit weird, uh, but (laughs) it's the clavichord. (laughs) The instrument? The instrument. So the clavichord uh, is the smallest string key instrument, like a piano or harpsichord or something. It's from sort of Baroque classical times, uh, and it's a weird instrument, and it's, it's, it's really bizarre because it's incredibly quiet. 
like it it's it plays at a volume that's below like you would have to hush up and like gather around it like it's you couldn't perform with it it's quieter than a human speaking voice and just go go on youtube but there's something about the way the instrument works it's it's semi polyphonic meaning some some keys uh are are just there's no polyphony between them because of the way it works and uh it's there's a lot of classical and baroque music for it and uh, just sort of the way it sounds, it's it, maybe it's an ASMR thing, but just go, just go do a deep dive on YouTube of performances on the clavichord. It's wonderful, <laughs> Frank. All right, so I have three things to recommend. Uh, a little bit of half of a fourth because you recommended Fleabag, and that reminded me of something. Uh, I've got my... another one. I, I'm going to recommend that Tom reminded me of too. <laughs> um, Fleabag is a great show. You should watch it. But. Um, so I'm going to recommend a movie I just saw called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And you probably don't need me to recommend it to you because it's super popular uh, and it made a lot of money. Uh, it's a great animated Spider-Man movie where this time the protagonist is Miles Morales, who is the famously the first biracial uh, character to be Spider-Man. Uh, and it uh, does a lot of stuff with the cool alternate universe things that you see in Spider-Man comics. Uh, and uh, it brings in a bunch of different versions of Spider-Man, uh, including a schlubby one played by Jake Johnson from New Girl, which is great, and Spider-Man Noir played by Nicolas Cage, which is awesome. Nice. Uh, the animation is legitimately some of the best animation I've ever seen in a film. I think it outdoes Pixar. Isn't in, it like it's, it's a very interesting style? It looks almost stop motiony. Isn't it like yes. modern rotoscope or something like along those lines? It looks something like that. Um, I would be interested to see how they did it. Almost like a Scanner Darkling-esque, maybe? Yeah, and it incorporates a lot of 2D animation at times when it replicates comic book visual language, Mm -hmm. like uh, thought bubbles and speech bubbles and things like that. And it does so seamlessly, uh, but it's great. Uh, And I guarantee it will make Justin cry at least twice. Mm. Um, Second thing I'm going to recommend... Uh, is a video game that you can get on your phone that is a port of an old video game that is a remake of an older video game called Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions, Mm. which is a remake of the 1997 Final Fantasy Tactics (laughs) from 2007 uh, that they then ported to the iPhone in like 2015 or something. And it's great if you want to be reminded just how goddamn brutally hard old video games were Mm. and how they very rarely held your hand. Uh, This game has literally an hour's worth of tutorials that at least an hour's worth of tutorials that you have to go through and read through if you want to be anywhere close to competent. Uh, And if you skip them, you will fucking suck. I've played Uh, two Final Fantasy games for 40 hours and did not get past like 20% of the game. And then I gave up and said, I have to go back to my life. <laughs> yeah. My and wife and children t- miss me. <laughs> and this is a, uh, even a Damn little bit home. different than that because it's a tactical game mm. that includes Final Fantasy esque turn-based combat, but it's done so on like a chessboard. Mm. So you, it's, it's very much about like positioning and strategy and, and figuring out your turns from there. Uh, and it just, it makes you a better game player. If you can remind yourself the way old games were played. Uh, third thing I'm going to recommend 
is Young Justice Outsiders, which is now available on the DC Universe app. It's the new season of Young Justice. It's only a few episodes in because they're doing their episodes on a weekly basis right now. Uh, but it's great. It's all your old friends are back. It reminds you of what was great about that show that was canceled because uh, Young Justice was a show that was excellent, but famously canceled because uh, more girls were watching it than boys. And the network felt that they couldn't sell toys to a girl audience, which is fucking insane. Uh, so they brought it back on DC Universe and it's awesome. Go watch it. Sub recommend because Tom uh, mentioned Fleabag. Olivia Coleman, who is an amazing actress, uh, is the stepmom on Fleabag. She is also Queen Anne in the new Yorgos yeah. Lanthimos film, The Favorite. Mm, yeah. uh, go check that shit out. It's uh, Yorgos Lanthimos does a period picture, uh, which is nuts. Um, uh, I'm also throwing another one in. Jesus. Because there are so many shows on like Netflix and stuff, this show kind of... Um, it wasn't talked about as much as I think it should. And it's the sort of show that has, I've watched it months ago and I, it, I, it grows in my, uh, in my mind. Uh, love the, um, the Netflix show, uh, about a, uh, a relationship three seasons. With that guy, I want a fucking wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> he does have that kind of face. Uh, but with, uh, Gillian <laughs> Jacobs and Paul Rust, Mike Mitchell of the Doughboys is in it. I'm wearing my Doughboys shirt. Um, and does it's, he talk about Burger King on it? He does. You son of a bitch. <laughs> but uh, it, Love is uh, does stuff I haven't seen um, on television. Subtle stuff, but it's uh, great. So fuck off! Alright, so... Guess who's back to give the plug? Ooh. Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Michael Kane. Yeah, God damn it. And it's me. Um, I was going to say Shawn Michaels, the wrestler, but it's Marlon, I'm Marlon Brando. Shawn Michaels sounds a little <laughs> bit like this. Yeah. Uh, how's it going, Michael Kane? That's Truman Capote. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, uh, is a little bit more uh, oomph in his voice. Oh, yeah. That's Macho Man Randy Savage. That's Harper Collins. <laughs> Harper, the publisher? Yes. You haven't met them? <laughs> anyway... Tom, do the plugs. Uh, <laughs> so we're the Plaid Lads. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, and anywhere you get your podcasts from. On the internet, we are at Plaid Lads Pod uh, on your Twitters, on your Instagrams. Uh, I have a band. It's called Elbowake, uh, com. Justin Tatora has Welcome to Wonderfalls. Welcome underscore to underscore Wonderfalls. On Instagram. On Instagram. He also has things that made me cry. No, some things that made me cry. Some things that made him cry. No, some things that made me cry on Instagram. Some things that made him cry on Instagram. Welcome to wonderfalls.bandcamp.com. Some, some things that made Justin cry, exclamation point, on Instagram. No, none of those things. <laughs> Don't follow those. Those are fake accounts. <laughs> trying to slander like me. accounts that give us iTunes reviews. <laughs> Um, oh, do we want to continue that? Yes. That new segment? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Please uh, give us iTunes reviews or give Justin's us- going to have to do things that make us sad. <laughs> so to continue our, um, our very, very seldomly done segment, uh, we've got a new review. A new review. Oh, my God. All right. This is from GHFXHHK. Great listen. Do it up. Three big dummies say interesting, insightful things about music, films, politics, and episodes of Frasier. Both hilarious and thoughtful, this is a great podcast for those who like to take deep dives into art you might have missed. Finally, a podcast by three white guys with beards. That could be you. <laughs> All right, next week on the pod, instead of a movie, in honor of the fact that True Detective Season 3 is premiering, <clears throat> we are going to be watching From and then the talking about... Mesa. New big shadow grows. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about season one of True Detective. Poison Crioso. Speaking of the Handsome Family, uh, we're gonna be doing the Handsome Family record through the trees. Great album. Does not have that song on it, but does not have that song on it. But we can put a clip of that song in the show. Yeah, like this one. From the dusty mesa. A looming shadow grows. Wow. Hidden in the bread. Okay. And we're doing Frasier season one, episode 15. Uh, Can't buy me love. So there. I can't buy me love. I love you. Bye. Bye.